Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. You know those things you are too embarrassed to talk about when it comes to dating? Like when to say I love you, how to define the relationship. Well, We Met at Acme touches upon all of those subjects and more, and we get right into it with our guests and talk about their dating lives and also what not to do when it comes to dating because we're all kind of confused together. So you can tune in every Sunday to We Met at Acme, and maybe you can learn a thing or two while I learn a thing or two. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rulebook and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman from hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more. Whether you're pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Welcome to this special episode of Work Party, part of the budget broadcast series in partnership with You Need a Budget. Whether your financial goals are aimed at booking the vacation in Europe you've been dreaming of, pre-lockdown of course, paying off your high interest credit card debt, or simply starting to save for your future, you need a budget. And it's no mystery that budgeting can feel overwhelming and anxiety inducing, especially as an entrepreneur or business owner. Thankfully, I'm joined here today by Jesse Metchum, the founder of You Need a Budget the app designed to be your best money-saving friend to kick off a special three-part episode of the Budget Broadcast Series, designed to educate everyone on the power of building a budget. YNAB stands for you need a budget, and it's true, you do, we all do. YNAB began as a spreadsheet and has grown into the leading personal finance platform that has helped hundreds of thousands of people take control of their finances. In this first episode of the Work Party and YNAB Budget Broadcast Series, I'm sitting down with Jesse, the founder, to chat about how to break the paycheck to paycheck cycle, get out of debt, save more money, and take the fear out of budgeting so you can get to where you want to be financially. So let's get right into it. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thanks for having me. So for those who may not have heard of YNAB, 
Tell us about the company and your background. I started YNAB. It's, it's you need a budget, but we say YNAB if we're in a hurry. And um, I started it when I was in college and newly married. And we were both combined, just poor, essentially. So my wife and I both you know, made student incomes. And when you combine two student incomes after you get married, it's still pretty much pretty low. So I realized that we needed to watch our money pretty closely. And so I built a little spreadsheet for just the two of us. And we worked with that for about a year and it helped us quite a bit. Despite our meager income, we were able to save a little bit and we were on the same page with our money, which was fantastic as a newly married couple. And then when a baby came along, that was where I thought, okay, I need to figure out how Julie, my wife, she really wanted to just be able to focus completely on Porter, our inbound. We tried to figure out a way that we could have me uh, make some kind of side income. And so YNAB was truly a, a side hustle for me. I just thought I'll sell this little spreadsheet that Julie and I have been using and we'll make it through school and then I'll become an accountant and you know the rest will be just a dream. And it, nothing went according to that planet. It was actually much better. So yeah, that's amazing. And and a lot of people tuning in today like that side hustle to full-time job mentality. Sometimes they go into it wanting that. Obviously, you did not, you thought this would be a completely separate side hustle. But let's talk a little bit about this spreadsheet that has now turned into this company. So the spreadsheet and the sort of philosophy of YNAB is built around the four rule method. So can you walk us through what that is? The spreadsheet originally was just for me and Julie. And then as I tried to sell it and explain it to people, I realized that we had these rules kind of implicitly built in. And the first rule was to give every dollar a job. And so that meant that Julie and I would sit down and we would say, well, okay, here's the money that we have. What should it do? The second rule was what we called uh, embracing our true expenses. And that meant that we would look ahead to larger, less frequent expenses. And we would break those up into monthly amounts. And so now instead of considering just this month's jobs, what that money should be doing, now we were also considering the future and saying, oh, we wanted to go, you know, go visit your parents in the summer. So we need to set aside a little bit of money for that or whatever it may be. Our third rule, it was a little weird, but we had to make a rule for it. And it was the idea that you roll with the punches, meaning if things don't go as, as planned with the budget, that you're allowed to change the budget and adjust to new information. And then our last rule, we call it aging your money. This is especially critical for people that deal with volatile up and down income. It's the idea that money that you earn today, that dollar you earn today, you won't need for 30 to 60 days. And it's the idea of breaking that paycheck to paycheck cycle. Um, if you follow the first three rules, that fourth rule kind of handles itself. And so that was, that's it. That's the four rules. And we built a company basically teaching people those four rules. And then the software helps people implement what we teach. Amazing. And so, you know, to your point, budgeting is oftentimes associated with no fun, right? Like no. like zero fun, no fun. restricting, yeah. putting your money in a place where you can't get to it. You say that budgeting is not about restrictions. You talked a little bit about that, but it's about priorities. So can you explain that approach? The budget is basically kind of you saying, well, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want out of life? What do I want with all this energy that I spend on this side hustle on really just trying to just go crazy and work as hard as I can? You get, you go through school and you, you maybe borrow money for school, and then you're just spending all of this energy to make money. And we're just trying to say, well, all of that effort that you put into making the money, let's just take a little bit more of that, of that effort and just say, well, what do you want to do with the money now that you have it? 
a lot of the times, especially creative people, they're kind of stereotypically this way, where they're like, oh, I'm just not a money person. And I'm like, you're the most creative person I could meet. Just create a money system. Use your creative powers for good in that way, you know? And so what we want is just to turn the budget completely on its head from the norm of like the budget says, you can't have this, you can't have this. And then instead say, well, what do I want? And then you create a plan and we say it's a budget. You create a plan, a plan to get what you want. It's just about being proactive instead of reactive, you know, looking ahead, really being clear about what it is you want. And it's not an easy question to answer, actually. Yeah, no, it isn't. And I think you're right. Like, at least for me, when I started my first company, I was the creative. I didn't really like pay attention to the ins and outs of like what was coming into the business, coming out of the business until I went through a scenario where I had to care about the numbers. And ironically, my mom's an accountant. So it's like, I should be, yeah, exactly. I should be into the numbers, but I grew up around that. So I was able to kind of, you know, wrap my head around it. But what I found is, and through meeting the other women through Create and Cultivate is like, it's not often taught how to budget. Like there's no class in high school that's like, here's how you create a budget. So it's kind of this, you know, thing like where you're getting thrown into adulthood and trying to figure it out. So what are some of the common budgeting mistakes that you're seeing people make? And how does the software you created help prevent people from making those mistakes? Well, there are a couple. One is being overzealous. So you're super, it's like you're going to start running. You just go out too hard, too fast. You get sore. That happened to me. So that's kind of fresh on on the memory. It's where you're saying, okay, I've never done budgeting before. I don't even know how much I spend on groceries, but I'm going to spend $150 for six people. like, no, you're not, you're not going to do that. You know? And so it's really about being realistic and kind of tiptoeing in, honestly, there should be a lot of forgiveness built in as well. We, we tend when we're excited about something, we're like, this is going to change our lives. This is going to be everything. And here I am telling you, oh, it will, it will change your life, but it will change your life slowly. And there will be a lot of quote unquote mistakes that you make along the way that are really just you learning how to do this. And so avoid the perfection mindset where if you said you would spend this much and you go over that, oh, now budgeting doesn't work. You adjusting to your new plan is budgeting. So rigid budgets break and flexible budgets or will be in it for the long haul. So I would say those, probably those two are the biggest going in like too hot, too fast. And then the perfectionism. And I think with creative people there, I mean, let's be honest, like that's something that you'd battle with anyway in other endeavors. So we just don't want that to bleed into the money. Be very forgiving and recognize, oh, I'm kind of going to iterate on this for the rest of my life. And all along the way, it's going to add a lot of value. Yeah, I mean, and looking at 2020 and what an anomaly that year was from a budgeting perspective, I don't think, like, you know, everyone kind of asked me, at least as a business owner, I'm sure you too, like, what did you do? How were you prepared for it? And it's like, no one was prepared for that. Everyone, you know, maybe has an emergency fund for, you know, two months, maybe. And, you know, things just kind of were crazy. So what were some of the lessons that you learned coming out of 2020 from a financial perspective? Yeah, one was uh, more buffer, you know, more of an emergency fund. It's interesting because before this, for years and years, decades, financial advisors, and I'm, you know, one of them would say three to six months of expenses, and then 2020 hits. And suddenly, you're not the insane one. If you're saying, Oh, I'd like to have a year on hand. Now, obviously, that's very aspirational for most people. But that idea is no longer just patently absurd, where it would have been just a little while ago. That's a big one is just have more cash on hand. I think looking at your business from a risk standpoint, and 
asking yourself, what are my worst case scenarios? And then do I have a written plan that would kind of give me some clarity in the event of a you know, worst case scenario. You don't want to go there all the time because I feel like it'll kind of freeze you in your tracks if you just spent your life thinking about the worst things possible. But spending a little bit of time there brainstorming the worst could be useful. And it doesn't mean that you suddenly need to build all of these safety nets, but it just might mean you've written down, hey, if this happens, this is what I will do to start to get out of it. And you're thinking clearly ahead of time so that when the crazy hits, and the clear thinking is tougher to come by, you'll have already done a lot of that, that headroom or that work. But I'll be honest. I mean, this is from one business owner that was at the same time. I'm like, what is going on? You know? And so to pretend that I have all the answers there, I'd, I'd be misleading everybody. Yeah, no, same. Ironically, like I always live in worst case scenario, even pre 2020, oh, no. <laughs> like, but, but that's a good point. You're like, you should not live there. But like, I, always. And like my COO laughs at me and stuff, but I'm just like, okay, well, what if, what if, what if, and it served us really well in 2020, you know, but I mean, you're right. It's a little depressing, but it is important to have, you know, maybe spend a little bit of time there. As many entrepreneurs know, launching a business or starting a side hustle oftentimes requires some sort of upfront capital, usually their own to get it going. So where is the most important area for a new business owner with limited funds to focus their financial energy? And what advice can you share to help them make the most of that runway that they maybe have. Yeah. So my, my, when I started, I had $63. That was how much Julie and I had squeezed out of our own personal budget. Cause it always is personal. At first we spent it on, everyone's going to hate me, but we spent it on Google ads. And this was back in 2004. And we, we paid five cents per click to get that. So $63 wow. went, I mean, we had like a thousand visitors, but the point was for us, it was enough to have it tested to see, okay, out of a thousand people, will there be, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 people that will take. And it was for us about finding that product market fit. And that was where all the money went. I didn't, I mean, if you were to go back and don't, please don't, if you're looking at our website from 2004, you know, with the Wayback machine, it would, it, it's a joke, but I didn't spend it on a logo. I didn't spend it on website design. I did it all myself because you, you only have what you have. I did know that I needed to put money where I could see that customers, potential customers were coming and to see if the sales pitch resonated. It didn't. And so then I had to change some things and then I got a little bit of resonance and then you just iterate from there. What you want to avoid is spending money, making it look like you are making more money than you actually are. So you need to spend money to get to value. And that doesn't look like business cards and swag and all those things that people like to get started with because it's fun, you know, spend your money where you will learn the fastest way possible. Yeah. I love that. And that's wild about the Google ads. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it's like absurd. It's, it's amazing, but yeah, no, I think that's a great way to see like, how are things translating? How are things working? And absolutely everyone, I mean, myself included, I was the graphic designer. I was the customer service, like you're everything at the beginning. So one thing that's interesting and that I've been seeing a lot of and that people are kind of confusing now that we have this like gig economy side hustle. I have my nine to five, I have my five to nine. 
There can oftentimes lead to a bit of a messy overlap when it comes to personal and business funds. And no one really knows, like there's that hilarious thing about, you know, the write-off where it's like, no one knows what a write-off is. But what advice can you share on budgeting for a transition period where maybe you have a nine to five, but you also have a side hustle and maybe you're doing some gig economy type work or freelance work. It's interesting because when you're first starting out, you want to have as little bureaucracy and structure as possible because you're going to move so fast and pivot and change your mind on a whim you know, for the sake of learning more and then delivering more, uh, or at least more accurately or better. But when it comes to your finances, you should actually, in this one instance, you should pretend you are a little bigger deal than you really are. And you should keep things separate as if you had your mom as the accountant there to be like, no, 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 this is a real business. Even though we know it's not a real business yet, you're just, you're totally just grassroots getting things started but pretend it's a bigger deal than it is. And all that means is separate bank accounts. And if you're using YNAB, you would use two separate budgets. You would separate, you'd have the one that's like, here's my personal, the other one that's the business and the five to nine deal. That's this little nascent idea of a thing. You treat it like it's a full blown business. You're thoughtful about when you take money out. You're thoughtful about putting personal money into it. You call that fancy things like here's a capital contribution. People are like, what, you know, but you, you act like a bigger deal and it will serve you well because the money at the end of the day, and you're, you're any CPA would know this, but the money will tell the story. Well, it will tell you is the five to nine worth it. Should you change something? Is there a way that you could do this in less time or is this very profitable? And is the nine to five, this happened to me, my nine to five was my loser. Like that was the one where I wasn't, it wasn't worth my time, but I'm so risk averse. It took me a while to get there. So pretend you're a bigger deal than you are as it relates to your finances, separate things early. It doesn't mean that you have to set up an LLC. It doesn't mean you have to go register with the state. It just means that you need to have the money be very clearly business and personal. Yeah, that's a great tip because I think oftentimes what we hear is, you know, filing an LLC or a trademark or whatever, you know, it's pricey, it's pricey. So so doing it from the beginning, at least having that set up is really important. We always say taking your creativity seriously, but like taking your side hustle seriously as well, which which I love. So how long did you wait before you went full-time into YNAB? I'm just curious. So I started in 04 and I, I left my accounting job for another job in 2007. And then that job thankfully only lasted four months. And so it was about three and a half years before, wow. but to give you context, my side gig YNAB was making twice what I was making from my full-time job. My full-time job, I was working 80 hours a week. YNAB, I was working four to 5 AM five days a week. So oh my gosh, was your wife working on it with you? No, we had two little kids. So she was like, okay, it's nice to see you. I think yeah. it's you. Like I, I had no, like we were, we would barely see each other. We would like high five each other, like on the yeah. way in and out. It was, it was a crazy time. I mean, there was nothing I liked about that, that work life. It was awful. So I finally jumped ship, but I was so risk averse. And I had just been told in school and then through my accounting education, of course. I just been told like, it's only like stable. You gotta be, it's gotta be stable. And there's nothing stable about full-time income either at any moment. At any moment, someone can just come in and say, hey, I'm really sorry. This horrible thing happened. You've been a great employee and you're done. And, and it's not even malicious. It's just nothing is as concretely secure as we think. I always would use as an example, like, okay, maybe if you're in the government, then it's stable. And then you find out the government shuts down, like at least in the US, shuts down every year. And it's like, oh, I got furloughed. So nothing is really stable. And I think had I known that it would have helped me out jump a little sooner. 
Well, totally. And I think like, at least my generation, we were like, you were lucky if you had a nine to five. And like, that was the mentality. So I think this new generation, I think is a totally different thing. They're seeing everyone monetize themselves. (laughs) So they're like, forget this. But what's interesting is to your point, the stability side of it. So I've been an entrepreneur for 15 years when I was buying my second house. So I've had this company now for seven years. And still they're like, "Mm, it's not that stable. You own it. So it's not stable income. And you're like, but I've literally seven years. Do not get me started. (laughs) You're triggering me so bad. When I, the last time I borrowed money to buy my house, I gave him my W-2. My W, I make six figures on my W-2. I was well qualified for the house. And they're like, great, great, great. And then it was kind of like, oh, well, I own the business that's giving me the W-2. And they're like, wait, what a, wait, what? You criminal. I like I I got so mad. I I swore off. I'm like, I'm never borrowing money again. I just couldn't handle it. So it's weird because I I I'm I love all of my employees. Like we have 145, but I love all of them. But I honestly, I would fire myself last if I were just to like line everybody up, you know? And so it's really crazy that these mortgage people are like, oh no, if it's your business, question mark city. But if you're working for someone else's business doing the exact same thing, they're like, oh yeah, that's stable income forever. Anyway. It's, Total tangent. I can't believe you tricked me on that one. I'm I'm sorry, but it's true. And it's so funny because all my fellow like female founders all message each other like, was it this much of a nightmare? I'm like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Welcome. Oh, it's that's awful. It's insane. Okay. Well, we'll get back. We're, we're back on track now, but let's talk a little bit about the paycheck to paycheck cycle. So obviously this is a huge issue. What tips can you share on breaking that cycle? I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but really if people follow the first, especially the first rule, if they're giving every dollar a job, they will. I mean, I've, I've been doing this 17 years. There is a group of people that are making such a small amount of income that they, they actually can stretch a dollar far further than you and I can even imagine. But there is a whole huge population that once they become aware of what their money is doing and then ask themselves, what should my money do? Like planning ahead just a little bit, they find extra money. It's like they were given a raise that intention, putting intention behind your dollar. It's not that I'm saying, don't spend your money here. Don't buy this. Don't buy that. Not at all. But you will naturally see places where once you are clear on what you want your money to do, you will see it doing things you did not want. And you'll just be like, Oh, I'm going to stop. It's interesting because it's not like you're depriving yourself. You're just saying, Oh, I, I don't want that. I didn't know it was doing that before, but I clearly don't want that now. And people will say, Oh, I feel like I got a raise. And so the the fastest way to get out of the paycheck to paycheck cycle is to follow the, the four rules. Give every dollar a job. When I'm signing on to YNAB, what do I need to bring to the table? Is it, do I connect my bank accounts? Am I giving you my income versus expenses? Do you plug everything into the, and it delivers out the formula of what you should be doing? Well, the formula is highly, highly personal. So your like your categories and mine could look, I mean, there'd be some similarities. Like we both want to live in, you know, shelter beyond that, it'll get different. And so if I were coaching you right now, I'd be like, okay, Jacqueline, this is just between you and me. What's in your bank account. And you're like, oh, I don't know. It's about, I'm like, no, no, no. Pull out your phone. Tell me the amount. And let's say it's average, which is shockingly $300. That's the average it's people make money, but it just plummets quickly. So the average is around 300 bucks. And I would simply ask you this question. I say, Jacqueline, with $300 that you have on hand, what do you want that money to do? before new money comes in. And you, if you were like everyone else, you would say, well, actually I have a client that's going to pay me on, they told me they paid me Thursday. And I'll be like, Mm-mm, no, 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 no. We only deal with money on hand. Even if you were to say, well, tomorrow, tomorrow, 
the government is going to guaranteed deposit in my bank account of a stimulus. I'd say, ah, don't care. We'll do this exercise tomorrow too. So what does that money need to do before you're paid again, the 300 bucks? What would happen was you would say, well, it's not very much. So the answers are pretty obvious. You just do this, this, and this, and then we'd be done. Tomorrow, when new money came in again, you would just say, what does that money need to do before I'm paid again? You don't do that every single day because it would get tiring. But through following the four rules, you build up a cadence where pretty soon, monthly, even as a freelancer, you would be looking at money you had earned over the prior month. And it's all sitting there ready for the next month. And you'd be allocating that and say, okay, this money needs to do this, this money needs to do that. And whether it's business finances, personal finances, it's the same rule. What's your bank account balance? What does that money have to do? And then you just go from there. And your priorities are not my priorities. And I love your priorities because they're yours. And that's the beauty of budgeting. It does what you, what you need it to do. I love the cash in hand philosophy because for instance, like I've run all my businesses on cash. I think in cash. I'm like, I have this much right now. I can spend this much. We recently switched to accrual like the past oh, couple of years. And I, I truly cannot wrap my head around it. And our CEO was like, it's okay. Just keep making money. But like, it's just, it's so challenging to like think I just am too risk averse. Cause I just want to focus on like, what do I have right now that I can like pay my team or whatever it might be. So I think that's a great mentality to bring into your, to your life as well. So let's talk about debt a little bit. So what advice would you give to entrepreneurs who maybe maxed out credit cards on building a budget, not only for themselves, but also their business? Yeah. It's interesting because what we're trying to do a kind of taking a step back, big picture is we're trying to induce scarcity into your thinking and not in a negative way, like you're risk averse, but you, you clearly are optimistic or else you wouldn't have done what you've done. So you're an optimist with some risk aversion. Perfect. When people are spending money, that's not theirs, when they're not spending cash, when they're borrowing, they haven't yet felt what it's like to run out of money hmm. they would say, Oh no, I don't have money. I'm, I'm clearly don't have money. That's why I'm borrowing. But as soon as you swipe the card, you've kind of walked past zero. And you haven't confronted the brutal, harsh reality of you do not have cash because you can just swipe. And the swiping, the ease of credit available is it robs you of the chance for your brain to solve a problem. And the reason I'm, I feel passionate about this is because when, when Julie and I were there and we both non-negotiable, we were like, we're not going to borrow money for Jesse to finish school. Julie already finished school, but she was in social work where they don't pay you a ton. So the idea of her staying, making $10 an hour or just spending time with this newborn, we were like, ah, oh, we're doing the newborn thing. She's just doing the mom thing. And I have these, this master's degree I need to get. I did not want to borrow money. The only reason that I built YNAB was because my brain found a solution and I'm not the brightest bulb in the closet. It found a solution that said, Oh, you don't want to borrow money and Julie's income has disappeared. So how do you solve this? And we came up with something. Scarcity is a huge positive and debt debt in and of itself. It's not like it's, you shouldn't feel shame about it. You, don't, you shouldn't feel bad. It's not some moral thing. The problem with debt is it robs you of the chance to solve that scarcity issue. And so you get to keep ignoring it and keep kind of kicking the can down the road until one day you can't kick it any further. And there you are. And then it really becomes painful. So I haven't spoken specifically to like tackling debt. I will say this, 
if you're working any kind of line of credit, working capital, anything like that, you should budget your line of credit with the same tenacity and clarity that you do your cash so that you can at least introduce rule one, giving every dollar a job of that line of credit. And then we would slowly walk you back to where that line of credit isn't needed, or at least could then be far less relied upon, you know, in a pinch. Yeah, absolutely. And it's insane because I think a lot of the credit card debt we see racked up is from college students or or in your early twenties. I remember, you know, I went to NYU and I remember there was like a day of like, you know, when you were just kind of starting out and there was just credit card companies lined up, like ready to sign up. And it's, it's very tempting because you don't understand the long-term ramifications of what you're about to sign up for in that way. It feels like free money and it's not. I mean, they're predatorial in, in that way. Like they, they are predators and they're, they're preying on teenagers. And I'll, I'll keep saying teenagers because that makes them sound young and immature and unwise. And they're all those things as 18 year olds. So it's, it's a tragedy. It is a tragedy. And then on the flip side, there's like my mom who like got my sister and I credit cards at 16 and would make us like fill up the gas once a month and pay it off. So we had credit like growing. So it's, it's just, it's, it's, everyone has their different relationships with money kind of growing up, but I agree. It's like challenging to, to know what you're getting yourself into in the long haul. So what advice can you share on cultivating confidence around money and budgeting? I think a lot of times, as you mentioned, debt can feel shameful, money can feel overwhelming, everything that comes along with money, whether you're borrowing or paying your taxes, it just can feel like a lot. So, so how did you gain the confidence? Obviously, you know, you have your education in accounting, but how do you recommend entrepreneurs, small business owners, freelancers cultivate that confidence in money? I think one is, well, what I mentioned earlier is iterating, just recognizing we're going to iterate this whole time. Like Julie and I, we've, we've been budgeting together. I mean, we've been married 18 years and we've been budgeting together that whole time. And we're still iterating. We're still like, oh, that's interesting. Or, you know, how do we do this or that thing? Uh, sort of life changes. And so you just kind of keep iterating along entrepreneurs, or if you're just going at this from a, like a personal business or a personal, you know, finance angle, they should take one of our classes. That's free. It's like 25 minutes long. And, and they're not free. Like it's a pre-recorded thing. I'm talking live, a live instructor that will blow your mind in 25 minutes. And they'll walk you through our method, how we, how we want you to think about money. We're, we're trying to change a mindset. And then once you can get your thinking changed, behavior follows. And so we're, the class will connect the method and kind of the abstract thinking to brass tacks. Here we go. This is what I actually do. It popped into our website. You could just jump in and, and see one. And they are, they're so well run. Like you cannot ask our teachers a question that they have not heard a hundred times, whether you're a creative person, whether you don't get money, whether there was a lot of shame with money or whether you grew up with money coming out your ears, it's all the same in how you should approach it. We're talking about teaching you how to get a lot of intention piled up behind that money so that it does what you want and you'll feel good. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you and your wife went into the budgeting so early on together. I think some of the questions we get at Crate and Cultivate is around shared finances and when you decide to take that leap. So what recommendations do you have for opening up conversations about money with your significant other or maybe even a business partner or anything like that? So don't have it be about money. That's the that's the number one thing is you say, if I were to have the very first conversation with Julie, and this, this likely happened, well, this did happen when we were dating. It was just kind of like, what do you want out of life? What is important to you? Um, what kind of things do you want to achieve? And you could have a couple nice dinners out where you just talk about what you want. What do you want a year from now? What do you want five years from now? 
Um, what do we want for the kids? Things start happening. Like someone says, Oh, I, I want a private school for my kids. You're like, Whoa, that's, that has some price tags associated with it. Or, Oh, I don't think we should pay for our kids college. They have to earn it all themselves. Well, that's interesting too. Or I think that we should have uh, separate finances and just kind of share with one joint. Like, all of those are starting to get to not like, Hey, why'd you spend this here? Why, you know, who did that and pointing your fingers. It's really a discussion of priorities among, you know, couples that you can get to, I don't know, deeper conversations, more of like the why behind things. And then you would find out why your spouse suddenly is triggered when you you know, spontaneously spend some money here. And you're like, God, oh, what is the big deal? Why is he flying off the handle? Or why is she so upset? It's like, well, it's because you just ruined this whole thing that they're doing that they haven't even talked to you about. And so being on the same page first with priorities, once you got the priorities nailed down, which is not easy, then you could say, well, is our money helping us achieve these priorities? And at that point, it's not about, you know, he said, she said, it's just like, well, is it? And the answer is pretty easy, but nailing down what you both care about, that takes a little bit of work, but it's worth, it's worth doing. Definitely. I love that. Um, so we're going to wrap with some sentence finishers. Are you ready? I hope so. Okay. The number one money book I always recommend is your money or your life by Vicki Robin. The best piece of financial advice I ever received. Don't borrow money for school. The number one tip to get your finances in check is you need a budget. I mean, that was a gimme. Come on. <laughs> uh, the best financial decision I ever made. Marry my wife, Julie, or start this little business. Quit your job. Uh, the worst financial decision you've ever made. Spent $80,000 on software we scrapped just before we launched it. Oh, no. At least it's a write-off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, so it really only cost us 50000 Yeah, that yeah, didn't yeah, hurt I, at all. No. <laughs> yeah. Wealth is? Options. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jesse. This was awesome. I feel like I gained so much knowledge. Sorry, I triggered you with the house stuff. <laughs> it's okay. I forgive awesome. You. And can you tell everyone where they can learn more about You Need a Budget? So you need a budget.com. We're even on TikTok, Jacqueline. Now I don't get TikTok. I don't understand TikTok, but we're on TikTok. So you can find us there. There is really good financial content on TikTok. I follow a few people. I don't make TikToks. I have zero idea how to do that, but there's some good financial content. So I'll definitely follow you guys. All right. Excellent. Thanks, Jesse. For more inspiring conversations like this one, subscribe to Work Party on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party.